We're in this series called Seriously, and we're going to end up talking about this topic of obedience. And, and technically, I'll tell you, I've milked this, servant, this, this series because really and truly, I'm just taking a principle out of Joseph's life and redirecting a little bit that we've talked that Joseph lived the life of great obedience. And so we're going to talk about this issue of obedience tonight. And there is a chance that, that I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable in your traditions. or Whatever your traditions have been in church and however you were raised, there's a really good chance that, that I'm going to push the envelope a little bit tonight and maybe cause you to look at some of the traditions that you've had in the past, hopefully to look at them a different way. Listen, here the Bible is our authority Tradition does not trump scripture. Here at Fellowship of the Rockies, the Bible is our authority. There is none over scripture. Okay? And so scripture cannot be your authority in your life if you do not look at scripture and causes you to redirect some things in your life or causes you to make some changes in your life. Then scripture is an authority in your life. And so tonight what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the two ordinances that we do as a church in obedience to the scripture. Now, the two ordinances that we celebrate here is baptism and then communion. Now, communion, you may have heard it called uh, the Lord's Supper. You may have called it communion. You may have called it the Eucharist. You may have called it uh, breaking of bread. You may have called it a fellowship meal. All of those terms in, in church basically mean the same thing. And so tonight, we're going to talk about this issue of communion and what does communion mean and what is happening when we take communion together and what does the scripture say about this issue of, of communion. And so baptism is, uh, is something that we do in obedience when we meet Christ. Uh, baptism is something that's done after you've made a decision to follow Christ. It is baptism by immersion. It is done in obedience to the commands of, of Scripture. It is not optional for any believer, but it is it's done in obedience to Scripture. Communion is something that, well, it's like this. Baptism is like the wedding of the Christian life. Baptism identifies you with Christ. Baptism is like the wedding ceremony of the Christian life. Just like a, husband, a man and a woman will stand on a, on a platform with a, with, a, with a pastor and they will make a public confession, a public profession of their commitment to one another, their marriage to one another, and baptism is that. It is like the wedding ring of the Christian life. So if baptism is like the wedding of the Christian life, then watch this. Then communion is like the anniversary Communion is like, it's, you know when you're married and, and you observe a, an anniversary, it's a renewal of your love. It can be a renewal of your commitment. You can remember back when you first met and you may grab an, a wedding album or you may, uh, like we've done once or twice, we had ours recorded on a cassette tape uh, and uh, students are like, what is that? It's a fancy iPod. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, so baptism is the time 
when it's a remembrance or a renewal of your, of your commitment uh, to the, to the Lord. And so there's a couple of scriptures. We're going to read them uh, about baptism, and then we're just going to walk through this and, and just prepare you. We're going to take communion tonight totally differently than we've ever taken um, together as a church family. A lot of because of some of the things that I dealt with walking through the scriptures and some things I was confronted with in, in scripture. Not that the way that we've been doing it is wrong or not that the way that we've been doing it is sin or anything like that, but just that when I was walking through this, Man, God just impressed upon me that maybe we should look at doing something a little bit differently tonight. Luke chapter 22, verse 7 through 23. Here's what the scripture says in the Gospels. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us, for we may eat. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And and he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will, will meet you. Follow him into the house that, that he enters. And, and tell the master of the house that the t- teacher says to you, uh, Where is the guest room and where I, may I eat the Passover uh, with my disciples? And he will show you a large u- upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is, un- until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not eat of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, The cup that is poured out for for you is the new covenant in my blood. Behold, the hand of him who, who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes and, and, and as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to question one another. Which one of them it could be who is going to, to do this? And the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he gives instructions to the local church about how this time is to take place. Here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 and 34. But, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you have come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, what Paul is saying, the way that you guys have been coming together in communion is not helpful. It's not, condu- it's, it's not, it's not a benefit. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be for there must be factions among you in order that those who, who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each goes, goes ahead with his own meal. And one goes hungry and another is, gets drunk. And what? He says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and hum- humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge, judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, eat. Wait for one another. If another is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when he comes together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give you directions when I, when I come. So the Bible is very clear. These are the two passages about, about communion of the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or, or the breaking of bread that's in Scripture. And you find when you read these, these Scriptures that, that this time is reserved for believers. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Again, you watch it in the context. is for believers. The scripture says, uh, says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17, the cup of the blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, and we who, who, are, who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. In other words, believers are to take communion together. And, and Scripture says that unbelievers should not take communion. That it's reserved for believers. That it is reserved for, for Christians. And, and communion is a time that we celebrate what God is doing in our life. And it is, it is reserved for people that have a relationship with Christ. And so at the close of this service, in a few minutes, when we, when we take communion together, that, that if you are not a believer... And you would say that, you know what, I just haven't come to that point. Then we would just ask that you would not take and that you would not participate. And, and let me tell you something. You're in a safe place. Nobody's going to point you out. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to talk about you. Because guess what? We were all once in that position. Everyone in this room, there was a time that we had to come to the point to make that decision for ourselves. And so, listen, this is a safe church and this is a safe place. And Scripture tells us that, that, that communion is reserved for believers. You see, the early church, in fact, is the first several hundred years of the, of the early church. Do you realize that, that they were so concerned about this that they would not let anyone take communion unless they were baptized? Because that was the mark for them. And, and you know what? We don't hold that. Because Scripture doesn't really say that. But what we do hold and what is clear of Scripture is this, that, that you should be a, a believer and you should be joined with Christ. And the Bible tells us, because this comes up all the time, and says, well, how often should you take? I mean, the Scripture just tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, that, that, that we're to take often. So how often is is often because the Bible doesn't really say that. Now, the early church, it was weekly. 
because their services centered around that. It wasn't until much later that they moved to worship and they moved to preaching uh, as well. But so how often is often? And, and, and I know some of you uh, come out of some faith backgrounds and, and to where it was, it was weekly. You took it, you took communion every week. I came out of a background that you may not believe this, but we would only take communion once a quarter. Fact is, it was in, in, our, in our bylaws that you only take communion once a quarter. And the reason was this, because they were concerned that it would become a ritual, it would become a routine, it wouldn't carry the same weight, that if you did this every week, it wouldn't have the same meaning. Well, if you want to carry that logic out, that's fine, but just, just have integrity with that. And so if someone believes that, then that would mean that we shouldn't preach every week. It may become a routine. We shouldn't sing every week. It may become a routine and nobody may think it's special. We shouldn't do a welcome, a greeting. We shouldn't hold church the way we do because you know what? Someone may think it's a routine. So that, that doesn't hold water. What scripture does tell us is it doesn't command how often it is, but what scripture does say is the local church should decide what is best for them. Now, in the early days of Fellowship of the Rockies, I don't even know that we took communion once a, once a quarter. We didn't take communion very often because we're in rented facilities. We're moving around all the time. There was some great difficulty there. And then when we moved into this building, we started doing the once a quarter deal because that was kind of out of my background. And so we said, hey, we'll just do once a quarter. It was good enough for us. And, you know, for me growing up, good enough now. And, and but we started reaching some people and they came out of a, a denomination and a group to where uh, they took communion once a week. And they started talking to me and sending me emails and saying, you know what? That's very special to us. And we, boy, waiting once a quarter, that just seems like so long. And so we talked about it and we thought about it and we said, you know what, what would work for us? We'll take the once a quarter people and the once a week people or once, yeah, once a week people and we'll kind of compromise and bring them together. And what will work with Fellowship the Rockies and what is often at Fellowship the Rockies is the first weekend of, of every, every month. And so that's what the scripture says. And then the other thing is, is we've got to understand what happens at communion. Just the same way that we've talked about and we've discussed what happens at baptism. Uh, what does baptism mean? I have never sat down with you and walked through the scriptures or talked to you about what actually takes place. What does the Bible say takes place at the point of communion? Because there, there's, two, there's two main thoughts. That it's... It's an observation. It's, it represents. There's another thought that says this, that the bread and the wine or the juice becomes the body and the blood of Christ. Maybe some of you came out of a background like that, that you were taught that something magically happens Something happens to the bread, something happens to the wine or to the juice, whatever it was, and all of a sudden it becomes the body and it becomes the, the blood of Christ. The theological term for this would be transubstantiation. And by the way, this change did not happen until about the 13th century. Uh, it was made official with the Council of Trent in 1551 AD. Here, here's the official statement. I'll just read it. Uh, by the concentration... Uh, of the bread and the wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord, and the whole substance of the wine into the substance of the blood. The change, 
the Holy Catholic Church has fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. So the thought was this, that, that, the, that the body of Christ is physically present in the bread and the wine are the juice. Now, this has huge ramifications for the way that you see the gospel. And we just got to understand that tonight. Because if Christ is physically present in the bread, the juice, or the wine, then to receive communion is to receive Christ. See, the way you and I view communion, the deeper issue is the way that we view the gospel and becoming a Christian. See, this affects our understanding of salvation. I mean, we, we spent weeks in the book of Galatians and we've been watching about it is by grace that you have been saved and it is a gift of God and it is nothing that you do. And all of a sudden, there's this thought that by, by taking communion, we receive Christ, okay? We obtain salvation. We obtain forgiveness. But salvation is, is not something we do. It's not something we obtain. It is by grace. It is through faith. It is, it is in Christ. It is not something we do. We, it's not some steps we do. It's not some hoops we jump through. It's not some checks we check off. When we take communion, we are not obtaining grace. We are not obtaining forgiveness. Grace is grace because it's not obtainable. The way we view communion is critical because you don't earn it. That's why it's grace. We are not receiving Christ and we are not receiving forgiveness. It is not imparted to us. It's a symbolic meal that reflects salvation. There is no indication in Scripture, John chapter 6, anywhere else, that the, that the body and the blood become the body and the blood of Christ. And you go, well, wait a minute. You just read in Luke 22. I heard you. I can turn to it. Jesus is the one that said, this is my body. This is my blood. But that word is used over and over and over in the Greek, which means represents. Fact is, when Jesus made that statement, he was still there in the flesh. When he said, this is my blood, his blood was still running through his, his veins. You see, Jesus taught this way all the time. He used words to represent, watch this, a deeper explanation. Fact is, he says, I am the door. It's not a door. The deeper meaning was, I am the pathway, I am the door to salvation. It is through me. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. I am the door. He said another time, I am the vine and you are the branch. He's not a, he's not a bush. We're not a tree. The deeper meaning was this. Success in life, success in the Christian life, when you understand, I am the vine. And as long as you are connected to me, you are the branch. 
and I sustain you, and I give you peace, and I give you forgiveness. You see, Jesus oftentimes used words to represent a deeper meaning. The deeper meaning is this, that when he said, this is my body and this is my blood is this, that when you take of the bread, when you take of the juice, you remember, I am there with you. I indwell you. My presence is in the room. The deeper meaning was this, you remember when you take of the bread and you take of the juice that you can have a relationship with me. After the first of the year, we're going to talk about this. You know what? I cannot wait to talk about this issue of how you can hear from God and does God still speak to you today. And listen, if you believe that God does not still speak to you today, then you cannot say you have a personal relationship with him. By the very meaning of a personal relationship means that God talks to you and God speaks to you. And what Jesus is trying to get them to understand, when you renew your vows, when you renew your commitment to me, and when you gather around as a church, you remember, I am there with you. I am in your midst. And that you have an intimate relationship with me. Four reasons why we celebrate, and then we're taking communion together. The first one is this is we celebrate because it is a time of remembrance. Uh, communion is like the wedding anniversary. And it is critical and it is important. Men, how important is it for you and your marriage to remember your anniversary? How successful would your marriage be? If you blow it off or you don't... Rem- no nudging. There's some nudging going on. <laughs> some of you guys forgot, I can tell. It's critical, right? It's critical to the relationship. It's critical to you and I that we remember that time when we stood up in front of an altar with a pastor and we made commitments to one another and what it was like to date, what it was like to be in love, what it was like when we first, not that we're not in love now, that sounded weird. (laughs) What it was like to be first in love, right? That's why Jesus told them in Revelation, remember he told the church, I have this one thing against you, you forgot your first love. And then he gave them a prescription of how to remember your first love. In fact, this is some of the greatest uh, marital counseling ever given in scripture. Jesus says, if you've forgotten your first love, do the things you did at first. Date. Write letters, talk, hang out. Remember the times when you could not wait to be with one another. And Jesus says, you do that in the church, you do that in relationships, you'll return to your first love. Communion is the anniversary of when we met Christ, when we made that profession of faith, when we committed our whole life to him, when we stood up in a baptistry and told everybody that we are his. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion is foundationally about remembering Remember, when we take that bread, he gave his body for us. 
He was our substitute on the cross. Communion has deep meaning. That when we take of the bread, we remember the body of Christ that he gave for us. We remember that God became a man and limited his divine capabilities. He became flesh. Yes, he was still fully God and fully man. And he died in a real body with real hurt and with real pain, with real blood flowing for the forgiveness of our sins. We remember the blood of Christ. A lot of churches no longer talk about the blood of Christ. Man, it's because of the blood of Christ that has been sprinkled on my heart and your heart that you have forgiveness of sin. It's not about taking a wafer. It's not about drinking a cup of juice. It is about the the blood of Christ that is sprinkled on the cross and on your heart that gives forgiveness. And because of that, we have direct access to a holy and a righteous God that we can have a relationship with, that we can talk to him and he can talk to us. It's remembering when he was beaten and tortured and nails driven in his hands and in his feet. And real blood flowed from that cross in the forgiveness of sin. It was the picture of Passover when in Passover they were slaves in Egypt and they they took the blood of the lamb and they sprinkled it over the, the, go, the, the, the doorpost and God passed over and did not bring judgment on them. And Jesus says, this is a new covenant. And you remember that I gave you forgiveness that you could not obtain. And just like G- Justin had said, that when you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. I don't care how big you think your sin is. I don't care how big, bad sinner you think you lived. I don't care what you did. There is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. And guess what? If he doesn't condemn you, we don't condemn you. Communion is remembrance. The second thing is this. It's a time of reflection. Isn't that what you do many times when you... Uh, acknowledge an anniversary and you kind of remember and you kind of reflect back. 1 Corinthians 11, 27, 29 says this. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the, of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty uh, concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the, the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning uh, the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This time is not to be a routine. This time is not to be treated lightly. It is not to be treated casually. He paid a great price and sacrifice so that we could have this time, so that we could be set free from our sins and we could be set free from our past. And this time reflection includes confession whether it's the things that we have said this last week, whether it's the actions that we have had, whether it's images that we have seen on computer screens, TV screens, movie screens, whether it's things that we have done or 
Maybe it's unforgiveness, or maybe it's bitterness, or maybe it's gossip, or maybe it's not sharing out of our resources like Paul talked about so others could be blessed. But we reflect on our sin, and we examine our lives, and we, but we reflect on his promises and that when we confess our sins that his blood covers our sin and we're forgiven all of our sin is covered no matter how deep no matter how dark it is covered all the images all the words all the actions all the gossip is covered and we reflect on the problem, the promise, 1 John 1, 9, that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. What? For all. Listen, in the Greek, that word all means all. Not some of your sins. Not part of your sins. Not even whether someone else forgives you or not. No. He forgives you of all your sins. And we reflect and we thank him for his faithfulness and his grace. And, and we thank him because of this. We don't stand guilty between a holy and a righteous and a perfect God because his blood covers everything. The last thing is this. The reason that, that we remember communion is it's, it's a time of It's a time, well, not the last thing, the third time. It's a time of renewal. It's a time that we renew our commitment to him. And we reconnect with him. Maybe we make some commitments that we're going to read scripture more. We can connect with him on a deeper level. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of one bread. And Paul's saying that, we're one family. Can I tell you, that's why Paul's so upset in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says there's divisions among you, there's factions among you. And Paul's mad because there were divisions socially, racially, intellectually, educationally, uh, financially. There were all kinds of divisions going on in that first church and, and Paul's trying to get them to understand we are one body. Fact is, some in Christian faith backgrounds take of one cup. To and we're not going to do that tonight. Don't worry. <laughs> I was in Bialystok, Poland, and and uh, we did our first service there, and and um, they they did communion, and there's like four or five hundred in attendance, and is a is an old church, and long story, but they took communion with one cup. Uh, you each had your own bread, uh, but you drank out of the same cup, and it was, it was wine. And, and uh, I tell you what, when it got to me, I knew we were in one body and, uh, because people had left stuff in the cup. And <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that either. And then the next week, I made sure I was took first. And so I uh, tell you, because hygiene was not high on the list for you know, that area. And so... But it was a remembrance that they were in, and, and, and it was the picture that they had decided as a remembrance that we were all one, and, and we share everything, literally, and uh, that we're a family, and, and we have unity in the, the body of Christ. And, and so many times what, what has, has grieved me, maybe, uh, this last week as I was looking at this, and, 
And so many times when we take communion, we're so isolated. We take communion in our seat, like it's just us. And, and there's meaning for that, and that's okay. But sometimes we don't understand that, guess what? We're in a community with one another. There's people in this room that you have prayed for them, whether they went through a divorce, whether they went through the loss of a loved one, whether they went through some difficulty in parenting, whether they went through a job loss or, 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 or helping with a relational challenge or, or, or a health issue, and you remember that when you take communion together, that you are one body. You pray for one another. You love one another. You worship God together. There's this, there's this relationship that, that you're in community with one another. But the same is true as well, that if there's someone in this room that you have unforgiveness for, if you have bitterness towards, or if, you have, if you've gossiped about, there may need to happen. In fact, as Jesus says, before you take communion, you know what? You should get it right because here's the deal. The relationship is so important because you are one body. You see, communion is the picture of unity, that we love one another and we pray for one another. We worship God with one, to one another. Communion is a proclamation, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The last thing is this, that it is a time for rejoicing. And there are two areas, these last two, I'm telling you, God was all over me in my study and, and just, just challenging me with some, just some thoughts and, and some things about, because here's the deal, communion is a time of rejoicing. I confess, I've done it. Fact is, I've done it consistently. And maybe you can think back of every church you've been in and what you'll realize, they pretty much did it as well. It was just something that we just always saw. Communion isn't a time of much rejoicing. You get a real serious voice and you're kind of sober but it's a time of rejoicing because we rejoice because he has set us free. It's the picture of Passover, the slaves in Egypt that were once slave and slaves and that God had set them, set them free. And we've got to be careful because so many times we come to communion gloomy and serious and sad. And listen, we are not at a funeral. He is not dead. This is not a funeral. He is not dead. He is alive. And he is here with us. Amen. And he is, indwells you and he indwells me. And he brought salvation and that's why on the cross he said, it is finished. And we realize, I'm not in Egypt anymore. I'm not in slavery anymore. I'm not enslaved to my sin. I'm not bound to my sin like I once was. And we rejoice with smiles. We rejoice with celebration. We rejoice with that because we have been set free. Man, we're, we're forgiven. I don't know where I'd be. Man, I'm dead serious. Without Christ, my life would be a wreck. Without him, My life would be a disaster. And communion is rejoicing and it's renewal that we remember 
We have been set free. And we are not under the penalty of sin any longer. And we rejoice because he is alive and he is coming back. And one day he will be the one that administrates communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, or the breaking of bread. There is a beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 19, uh, verses 6 through 9. Let me read this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of the great multitude. This is in heaven, by the way. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. We will be there for this. There will be rejoicing and there will be celebration. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints and the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb when we will celebrate with him, when we will all come together in unity. Blessed are those who are invited. Listen, everyone's invited. If you're here tonight, if you would say, I am not a believer, this would be a wonderful time for you to accept. Everyone is invited. The question is, will you accept? Will you RSVP for the marriage supper of the Lamb? And you do that by asking him to come into your life for the forgiveness of your sins and start walking with him. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And when we take communion in just a second, we are looking to the future when we will take communion with the risen Savior, with the risen Lord. Revelations 22.4 says, And they will see my face.